Hello and welcome to this episode. I am Rob Anderson, your host here on One Dive at a Time, the official podcast of Neptune Warrior, where our mission, our vision, our what's really on our hearts is to heal heroes one dive at a time. And, you know, on this show, you're going to get uh, a mix of mental health relationships, obviously diving because we leverage diving in order to heal our heroes one dive at a time. can't really heal heroes one dive at a time if you're not doing any diving. <laughs> there is so much conversation that goes on about this show. You might think, do these guys ever dive or do they just talk? Well, it's not these guys. It's really me. I'm the one who's pontificating all the time. You know, and thinking of that, the past couple of days, I've, I mean, I've really been on trying to understand and explain concepts such as mindfulness and meditation and self-care. And I, I have found that even with this podcast, I've kind of got into this mode of being on a schedule. I, I noticed that a couple of episodes ago when I talked about that I released an episode early. And I've noticed that I'll do that from time to time. And I think what... Where I'm heading with this is I'm not going to be on a schedule anymore because I do this because I enjoy it. I don't have sponsor deadlines to meet. I don't have producer deadlines to meet. I mean, it's me. It's me getting on here and talking about my thoughts on veteran issues and diving and my story of how diving has helped to renew me and renew those around me. And so I'm not going to be pressured by a schedule anymore. So I know at one point I was trying to get these things out on Friday. You know, there's going to be weeks where you get like two, three, four, five of these things. And there might be a couple of weeks where I skip because I don't have anything to say that week. And I hope you're cool with that. I hope all four of you out there are cool with that. Because uh, that's what I'm going to do. I'm, I'm no longer going to do the things that, you know, this is one of those situations that I don't have to do it. I do it because I want to do it. I do it because I have a passion about speaking about diving and meditation and how diving heals heroes and, and you know, just, just that kind of stuff. And we're going to talk technical stuff. We're going to talk diving stuff. We're going to talk about dive education, but we're also going to address veterans issues and mental health and, you know, people, I'm going to have people on the show that have survived suicide or deal with PTSD. They may or may not be veterans. They may or may not be first responders. There is a world out there that's hurting. And, you know, it's not like I'm going to say anything that's going to help someone. I just, I got to share what, what this stuff does for me and and about my community and how much I love my community and and the support that I that I get from them. And I'm really hoping that you guys are cool with that. Like I said, all five of you. And 
in speaking of that, you know, <laughs> when I talk about mindfulness and I talk about meditation, there's a couple of things that I know people kind of conjure up. As a matter of fact, I was down in Wells, Nevada a little while back and was talking to a guy and, and he saw the Jeep and I had, you know, had the dive gear in and I was trying to rearrange a, a few things. And, you know, he asked me where I was going and he'd been a diver. And it's crazy because in that, in that area, people don't realize that you do have a diving resource in Blue Lake, which is in Wendover, Utah. And people don't realize that that resource is right there. And he'd been a, you know, he, he had done some diving. He took a, a an open water class in, in college. And, you know, now, you know, he was grown. It had been 20, 30 years ago. And he was back in a ranch and things like that. And he's like, so why are you heading down there? And I didn't have a class. I had decided that I was going to go down and just do some me time, some, you know, an opportunity to self-reflect an opportunity to really embrace and take my own advice on, on being healed. And for me, the water does that when I'm on, when I'm diving, even if it's in a pool and I'm sitting there and watching a Band-Aid bounce across the bottom of the pool. And that's my single focus. That's good for me. It's also an opportunity for me to just focus on my breath. And when you're doing meditation, whether it's in the water or out of the water, that is, that's really your anchor that pulls you back is your breath. Because your mind will start to, to wonder on things that have happened in the past, things that are going to happen in the future, but very rarely do we spend time right there in, in the present. In fact, there's some research that says that we only spend about 28% of our time thinking about the present. 48% of our time, 48 to 50% of our time, is spent thinking about the future and about 10% on the past. Now, if you do the mathematics on that, you'll find that those numbers don't add up. And the reason for that is because we also have kind of like this dull thoughts meandering, you know, daydreaming, dead zone type type stuff that, that takes place. But, you know, the, the breath, you know, when, first of all, we are way overstimulated. In our daily lives, I mean, I think about, you know, my time starting this morning, I woke up, my, my, my uh, cell phone wakes me up, or my uh, device, you know, I can't say the name of the device because she'll wake up and give me some kind of a, of a background if I say her name. It's Alexa. Anyway, she'll wake up and say things to me. <laughs> so, uh, you know, either that wakes me up and then right away, what do I do, man? I, I open up that phone. And I start looking at Instagram or I start looking at emails. I start answering emails. I'll check out social media. I'll check out text messages I got from the night before. And already my brain's getting stimulated. And then as I go into work, right, you know, on days that I have to drive in uh, to an office or someplace to go meet a client, what am I doing? I'm getting stimulated. I've got audiobooks on or I've got a podcast on. And then when I 
you know, when I get to that office or I, or I meet up with that client, I've got a, I've got a computer in front of me and it's just all this overstimulation. And what I find, and I, and I think Rotan was, a, was a big, was a big teacher on this because I didn't have, I really didn't have a phone when I was in Rotan. You know, I didn't have that opportunity to be on the net, to go check social media because the service was so, you know, it was, it was garbage while we were there. And what I found was that the less that my brain was stimulated, the more I saw stuff. And so on the times that I would go out snorkeling or, or we would be out on, on a dive to just sit there and relax and do nothing but focus on my breath, I found that even just two to three minutes of just focusing on my breathing and in scuba diving, I mean, that's, that's one of the things they teach in the beginning is, you know, you, you focus on breathing. It's almost a built-in meditation system when you get open water certified. It's right there because you've been working on breathing as part of your buoyancy control and just all these other things. I mean, it's, it's built in. It's given to us as open water divers. But, I've, but I noticed that I start, you know, when I start my days out, man, it's always getting so, so overly stimulated. And then the times that, I, that I'm not getting so stimulated, I really enjoy things. Sometimes it takes being still to really notice the things, you know, and getting away from my phone and surfing the net and checking emails. Because every time you do that, you get like this little dopamine pop. You know, you, you look at your Instagram page, you look at your Facebook page, there's a dopamine pop. You respond to an email. So you check that off that list, that's a dopamine pop. And you check at your likes, you check out, you know, you know, if you're on a, you know, you know, whatever social media that you're on, you know, there's, there's text or, or people texting you back. And what happens is your attention span gets just so taxed and overstimulated. And after a while, your brain starts to crave that stuff. You actually get a dopamine hit from what's called the novelty bias. So when you are scrolling through, checking out Instagram, and you find some update from somebody that has Jeeps or, you know, and for me it's like Jeeps or scuba diving or travel, and you scroll down and you get that, you get that feel good, you get that dopamine hit. And pretty soon your, your, your brain is, is craving that dopamine hit and it's getting it off this little tiny screen. So what I find, or what I found when I went to Rotan, is getting away from that stuff. As a matter of fact, it takes me back to when I was teaching survival and bushcraft. Getting out to where I don't have any kind of a stimulation, you really start to notice the little things, and your smells come back, and all like that. As a matter of fact, I'm kind of thinking about getting back out to the woods so I can retrain my brain to pick up smells when I got COVID that's one of the things that I've lost was was that ability to smell one of the tools that we have used for understanding how the brain works is a tool called emergenetics and this was some work that was done by Dr. Gail Browning and We've used this within Neptune to understand for my original board that I put together really to understand how we worked with each other and how we communicate with each other and what our preferences were, what our behaviors were like. And then later on, we used it to really help when we go and talk to one of our veterans 
or first responders, what are some of the ways that they best that they best um, communicate and what their behaviors are like, and understanding the way that, that their that their brains are wired, and understanding those neural pathways. And when I went through the assist training, I was reminded of Myers Briggs, and then some of the coaching that I that I do. We use a DISC program. I've been, you know, I'm certified on Emergenetics. I tend to like that better because Myers Briggs talks about 16 different personalities. I've, I find it very difficult to take how many ever billion people we have on a planet and put them down into 16 different categories. And I'm, I'm probably oversimplifying that. I recognize I'm oversimplifying that. But what I find is that understanding how someone behaves and what their preferences are and what their, you know, what their thinking preferences are, what their behavior preferences are, it really makes it, under, uh, you know, a lot easier to understand them when we're communicating or when I'm trying to, when I'm trying to put out a concept like mindfulness or put out a concept like meditation. So going back to the story in Wells, when I told this gentleman that I was going out to just to just meditate underwater i mean suddenly the conversation changed and he kind of looked at me like maybe i should be wearing bell bottoms and have a and have a bandana tied around my head with a bunch of beads on or maybe i should be wearing yoga pants i mean i think that's what is conjured up when people say i'm meditating they think it's spiritual they think that maybe you know, you're smoking a little bit of opium or something, or I don't, you know, there's, there's just all these different images. Like maybe I, you know, you know, maybe I'm, I'm, I'm a soccer mom who wears yoga pants and is trying to just de-stress from the day of my kids, or I'm some hippie burning incense in, in a, in a bowl or, you know, what, whatever, whatever it has, or I should, maybe I should be a monk or something, right? I mean, all those are images that conjure up. And yet, all meditation is, is retraining your brain. And it's relaying those neural pathways. And there's been a lot of research that shows that you get better productivity, you can decrease pain, you can increase focus, all through meditation. When we look at models that were put out by people like Spiri, who found that they could divide their brain up into four quadrants, now, by the way, you're not just one of these things. You're actually a mixture of these things. It's, it's kind of like if you were to go to a soda machine, you know, where you get, where you get fountain drinks, and you press the lever, and it's like, you know, stuff comes out, right? And you take a cup, and if you put Coke in that, well, then you, you have Coke. I mean, that, that, that makes sense. Or if I put just Dr. Pepper. And, and we tend to label these things. And so if I have all Coke in there, we call it Coke. If we have all Dr. Pepper, it's all, you know, it's Dr. Pepper. If it's Sprite, then, it's, then you know, then we call it a Sprite. But what do we call it when we put Sprite, Coke, and Dr. Pepper in there? And that's the problem is we try to label people the same way. Okay, we try to, we try to, because our brain has to, our brain has to be able to call it something in for it to make sense. You know, when, when Sperry... When Sperry looked at, at the left hemispheres, you know, he found that that was where your logical, 
part of your brain was, the verbal, the linear, the sequential, the analytical, the systematic. And on the right-hand side of the brain is where it's intuitive, it's emotional, it's nonverbal, it's spatial, it's whole, it's conceptual. And then when we take it further and we look at the, the back and the front of the brain, well, the front of the brain, that's more of your abstract systems thinking, data support, big picture, strategic. And the back side of the brain is detail-oriented, collaborative, connecting, conventional. So the ability to go in and understand that someone is a mixture of those and has a preference then it's a lot easier to talk to them about concepts. So, for example, if I'm talking about, if, if I was talking about meditation, someone who is more left brain or left front quadrant, where it is the logical, it's the verbal, it's needing that data, that person, if that's what their primary preference is, if their primary preference is in that area, then how do you be able to show them data on how mindfulness is impactful? If I've got someone who's kind of like that, that left rear quadrant, that is someone who is detail-oriented. They need checklist, right? They get that dopamine, that little dopamine pop because they can mark things off. All right, I did my meditation today and tick it off and they're good to go. If I've got someone who is more of a connector, they're, they're, they like to relate to people. They're collaborative, consultative. Then the way that I explain mindfulness and the way I explain meditation has got to be about people. So it's understanding those differences. And I'm going to talk more about Emergenx in, in, uh, in a later episode but really just more of an introduction on understanding how, how the brain works because that's how the thinking preferences work. We've got this whole other spectrum of, of how our behaviors work. And in Dr. Browning's work, she, she points out three different areas. One is expressiveness. How, you know, that outward display of emotions. What the, you know, how, how they, how they feel about the world at large. Are they quiet? Do they spend time alone? Are they reserved? Are they spontaneous? Are they gregarious? Their level of assertiveness, because we're all assertive. It's just how does it show up? Does it show up more as a peacekeeper? Does it show more as someone who's competitive? As someone who's driving or telling? And then flexibility. Again, we're all flexible. It's just how does it show up? Am I firm? And do I have to, you know, I mean, am I not going to move off of where I stand? Or do I enjoy ambiguity? So those are all all different components. And and again, we're going to talk about this in a later episode focusing on Emergenetics. But I just, I find it fascinating that when we start talking about something such as meditation or mindfulness, how that is impacted from the different areas 
of thinking preferences and behavior preferences. You know, how, how, do, how, does all that, how does all that show up? And then the other part of it is understanding how to rewire the brain. So I'm going to have you do a little exercise with me. If you would just, if you're driving down the road or hanging out or, you know, sitting on a couch or whatever the, the four or five of you might be doing, what I'd like for you to do is just do a drum roll. Just a simple drum, I mean, just, you know, put your hands on your knees and just do a simple drum roll. Just like that. All right, so check it out, guys. That has been wired in your brain since you were very, very little. Everybody can do a drum roll, okay? We do it, all right. We'll do it, you know, I'll do it in a workshop. All right, everybody, I got a great announcement. Drum roll, please. And everybody's like, and what that pattern is, that pattern is a right, left, right, left, right, left pattern. That's all it is. If I was to break it down, it's right, left, right, left. That's all it is. Now, we're going to change that up a little bit. You see, that pattern is a neural pathway. I mean, it's more than a pathway. It's kind of like a super highway at this point because you've done it so often, and the more you do things, the more broad or the wider that that pathway is. It's like the freeway. Okay, so that's the freeway, right? Now, by the way, we also know that neurons that, that fire together wire together. So there's a, there's a neural pathway that was created with the right. Then there's a neural pathway that was created with the left. Now, when we start putting those together, that is its own neural pathway. Now, hang with me here. This is going to make sense, guys. If I change up that pattern, that right, left, right, left, right, left pattern, if I change that pattern up and I go right, left, right, right, left, right, left, left, that is a whole new narrow pathway. And when you first start out, it's like right, left, right, right, left, right, left, left, until you start building it. So remember this, the drum roll, that was a super highway. The new pattern, right, left, right, right, left, right, left, left. At best, it's a walking path. In fact, it's a really bad walking path. It's a, it's a walking path that has a lot of stones and a lot of debris in the way. Now, once you start going down that neural pathway, once you start practicing that, you get better and better and better. And pretty soon... It's pretty smooth. Training your brain into new habits is the same way. And it's the same thing that happens when you start meditating. One of the things I will have my divers do is when they're doing breathe, and again, that is not a scuba certification. That is just getting in the water and relaxing. One of the very first activities I have them do is nothing but count their breaths for two minutes. I have them relax, slow down, and count every time they inhale or count every time they exhale their choice for two minutes. 
and think of nothing but their breath. If their mind starts to wander away, I pull them back in. Two minutes doesn't sound like a long time. When you actually do that, in fact, I would encourage you to do it out of the water as well as in the water, you're going to find it's a very, very long time. If you're diving with your buddy, you're going to have them time you. And by the way, it feels awkward. Even if no one is around, it feels really awkward to do this exercise. But you can set a timer. I've got a G-Shock that I use, and I can and I have it preset for you know two minutes, five minutes, whatever, right? And when it goes off, it gives me a little beep, 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 beep when it goes off so that I know how long I've been doing that exercise. Two minutes, even with as many years as I've been doing this, two minutes seems like a really, really long time. Now, something I'm going to do on a few next... I'm going to, I'm going to hang with this, with this topic on several episodes. I might plug some other episodes in between, but I'm going to hang with this mindfulness and meditation theme for a few podcasts or for a few episodes on the podcast because I really want to get that idea across. Like I said before, it is, it's one of the things that from the time that we get trained as open water divers, for those of us who are certified, from the time that we get trained as open water divers, you are taught to pay attention to the way you breathe. And I think we've missed the boat on understanding that this is one of the reasons why scuba diving is so relaxing and it does things like reduce the symptoms of PTSD by up to 80% and why people feel calm and relaxed and why we're able to show in our program that after a brief session, people are pretty chilled out. Meditation does a lot of different positive things for us. I mean, it can, it can help us with, with focus. It can help us with removing a lot of those distractions that, that we tend to have that, that pull us away. It can help us with being more observant of the really good things in life, right? All, the, all those things that really are there, that's there for, for the taking, that's that is that's a right that we should be exercising as people who have served our communities, people who have served our country. We need a break. And that's that's something that 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 it outright offers for us to be able to do. The other part of this is I can't I can't help but talking about the journaling aspect. So as I've talked about in other episodes Make sure that you're journaling your diving, but also journal your times that you take out for yourself, the times that you take to meditate. And for me, every time I do it, I'm always surprised by the things that I capture. So anyway, my goal is to reduce some of the awkwardness when it comes to talking about meditation and diving and how it's a tool that we can use again for stronger focus for enriching our own lives of being more aware of the things that are around us 
as an opportunity to reduce anxiety, to beat depression. Meditation makes you kinder. It makes you a better person. It gives you clarity on the things that are important. It can make you happier. And then there's also some really strong evidence out there that meditation makes you less dependent on a lot of the other addictive devices out there, whether they're prescription or self-medication. So I'm really hoping that you'll give it a try. I'm inviting you to give it a try. And then remember, as long as you've got air, as long as you've got air, you are all right.